that not taking the time, not making the time to sit there with yourself and ask yourself, right? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Why am I here? Why do I want to be here? Right? And answering it. And I, and I realize a lot of the time, others don't have an answer. What's up, people? It's Katie Friesen here. And you're listening to Perspective. Essentially, this is my way of walking a mile in someone else's shoes. These are my authentic conversations with people from all walks of life, their experiences, and how it's shaped them. I promise to bring to you quality over quantity. I only post timeless conversations that were insightful or meaningful to me. So you can check out all these episodes. You can check out my why and other cool stuff at my website. That's katiefriesen.net. K-A-T-I-E-F-R-I-E-S-E-N dot net. While you're there, please subscribe. Subscribe on the website. Subscribe also to where you listen to podcasts and tell your friends about it. If you do so, that helps me bring to you more of these timeless conversations. Conversation like this next one. Today's conversation is with Louis Carbonell. Louis was born in Cuba, came to America when he was five or six, uh, went through the school system in Miami, both lower income and a school for advanced studies because he is a smarty pants. Then he went to university for a bit, dropped out, started some companies. He started a software company that did quite well, uh, then started up a artificial intelligence company called Liquid Carrot. Check it out on GitHub, still there. Uh, and now he is currently working at three companies in one. Uh, brilliant guy. Lewis is super brilliant, very reflective, um, and very self-aware. So it's like, he's also had a lot of experiences. So he's been a nerd. He's been a jock. He's been an entrepreneur. He's been like a playboy. You know, there's, there's, he's had a lot of experiences and it's like, he's an old soul trapped in a 26 year old's body. Um, so I always enjoyed talking to him because he's so reflective. We turn this into a six part series, uh, and we touch upon, you know, his life in Cuba, um, coming to America, uh, sexuality from a Cuban American standpoint. Uh, we talked about poverty, which is super interesting. Um, we talked about entrepreneurship and many more. Um, so definitely check out the whole series starting with part one in Cuba. Uh, also, in the conversation, you'll hear the voice of Christian Echeverria. He is also a Cuban-American. Uh, he was Lewis's co-founder, uh, the co-founder of the software company and Liquid Carrot as well. Uh, these guys are best friends. I met them both in college um, and have learned a ridiculous amount from both of them, just talking to them. They're walking encyclopedias. They know so much about so, so much. <laughs> um, and then two, they have such a good grasp and understanding on humans and on people. Um, I think maybe it's part of how reflective they are, how aware they, how self-aware they both are um, and all the experiences they've had maybe. I don't know. But either way, I learn so much talking to these guys and it's always an interesting conversation. So I hope you enjoy hearing about Lewis's experiences. I actually expect... Uh, a lot of the things that happened to it happen. 
Cool. What what care care to elaborate? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yo, what happened? Like I'm the anticipation. <laughs> well, the end of my seat. If you wait for thirty yeah. seconds, I'll tell you. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I had one of my clients call me, and um, <clears throat> well, actually, before we get to that, I went to the doctor and I went to go get X-rays because my tailbone. Uh, turns out I don't have a fracture. That was fun, but uh, you just actually don't have a tailbone. So yeah, they told me actually that I don't have a back at all, and they don't understand how I can walk around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You ever watch that? Uh, you, do you ever see Harry Potter when his bones go limp and he's just like this rubber man? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly. Actually, I am made of one hundred percent Laffy Taffy now. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! <laughs> um, yeah, no, that was my morning. But um, yeah, my client called me, and he, well, I guess this stays between us. But um, he told me about. <clears throat> awesome then let's hit up these uh university years or like kind of university years whatever the the time frame in which university would have occurred. yeah i i don't know where we left off last time i don't know if you mind recapping but i know i talked a little bit about it but yeah yeah so kind of you, you said like you you quoted this as leaving the nest right yeah. and as you headed off to university it was kind of what you considered rough times yeah. um and so i just kind of if you want to deep dive a little more into yeah. that and elaborate on that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I would say that that uh, there, and I think I, I might have mentioned this before, but I would say there were two, there were almost two stages to me leaving the nest. Um, the first was in part, and that lasted about two years. Um, and that was me going to SAS which is school for advanced studies with 200 other kids, um, just, you know, gifted children invited to this school. Uh, even though I still uh, lived at home, technically, I would rarely be home. I would sometimes stay at friends and I left the nest in the sense that I no longer had this parental dependence to go about my life in my free time. And so I could finish school and then, you know, go out to movies, go out to a club, go out to wherever. And that started in what would be the equivalent of my junior year of high school. So I, I, I was 14 when that started. Um, so I started full-time university and full-time high school concurrently through this school. That was their program. You did, you did both full-time, but you did high school off, uh, off, off facilities. So you would do high school in a classroom with a special teacher, at a university and and it was that that teacher was just there literally just to make sure that you were technically still in high school um and and then you would on top of that that would be my morning so i would wake up at 6 a.m make breakfast head to school do my homework right 
I would do my homework usually from 6.45, 7 a.m. to about 8, 8.15 when classes started. Um, I would be in high school classes until about uh, 1 or noon. And then I would do college classes until, you know, whatever time. Some, some semesters I had college classes that would start at like 9 and I would finish the class at 11. I'd go to McDonald's, eat some food, and go home. Um, but that was that was the first real living the nest for me. That was the first sense of independence that I had. Uh, my house became more of like an Airbnb that I would knock out at um, than than an actual home where I lived and spent my time. Um, during that period of time, there was a lot of change, right? As, as there is, as one leaves from these high school, you know, these high school environments where everything's regimented and taken care of for you to this free flow college life. Uh, there was a, another big uh, shock, which was not only... Uh, am I now in a space where my future and, and what that is, is completely dependent on what I choose to do with it. But I'm also 14 in a university, um, which, you know, needless to say, can be weird uh, when you go into a classroom and, you know, the youngest person there is 19 you're still starting puberty. Uh, there are people in their 30s and people in their 40s, and uh, you're taking, you know, uh, I don't know, third year anatomy, right? Um, or whatever it is, right? Some arbitrary class, right? Some arbitrary third year class with them. Um, provided a lot of weird, but I think very nurturing uh social experiences for me um it exposed me to a lot of interactions that i don't think people normally have until they're in their late teens or you know 20s or later um so being exposed to that that early i think was very helpful to me um i just just because uh, it kind of move forward to thinking yeah. process or yeah yeah absolutely like, so i think okay. i think right if, if we look at what does the typical college experience look like for a person right there's and then even more so than that right what does the entering the labor market look like for a person right like you're done with college right so for me there was this interesting phenomenon where i had started working from the age of 12 right and, and i worked for and i think i mentioned i worked briefly for for a gentleman named anthony um but it was it was a family friend so the 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 there was a lot of hand holding there was a lot of leniency there wasn't really a sensation of i am i am this is a job that i report to and, and i have times and deadlines it was more of this collaborative experience and projects that i would tackle with this gentleman um, that produced work and produced revenue and et cetera, but it, it was, it was more of 
a, a mentorship type situation from my perspective than it was a real job. And, and the other jobs that I had held up to that point were rather trivial, right? Like I, I was a Holo, um, uh, Hollister model. Um, and yeah, I was, that was a rather <laughs> worthless job. Like you don't really know what, you don't really learn what a job, the, the only job requirements that that had on me were that I showed up on time. Other than that, it was just be shirtless, <laughs> smile, and you know, say hi to people, be friendly, um, which you know isn't really a job, or you know, it's. I mean, I'm sure there's there's a value yeah. there, but but it's not really an experience, right? So, um, and you also don't get paid anything, right? Like that was, I mean, you get paid, but you know, we're talking about like minimum wage here. So, um, you really the 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 benefit. That, that you get financially from that is just enough to like, you know, pay for a backpack, pay for some shoes, you know, maybe a movie out like once every three months uh, or something like that, right? Um, so I had this interesting coincidence where I both enter university and I enter the labor market at the same time. Um, and, and when I say the labor market, I entered at 15 I entered a competitive sales environment. Um, we're talking like commission deals, thousand plus, ten thousand, fifteen thousand dollar items, right? Uh, as a fifteen-year-old trying to sell a fifteen thousand dollar anything is is a hard thing to do, right? Um, at any age, right? I, I think going into high-pressured sales environments can be a difficult thing to do. So having a full-time job uh, in a high-pressured sales environment at 15 and having full-time high school and having full-time university uh, is such a workload, such a, a, a disparity from the safety net of parental care and you know, your traditional high school teacher and, and your safe high school environment um, that you learn a lot of lessons, right? Very quickly, right? Like in a competitive sales environment, you, you learn, you know, you get shat on if you don't step up to the plate, right? You get like, it's, it's a, you go from a place where in high school, it's, it's, it's wrong to say fuck, or it's wrong to, you know, like it's such a, 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 a I don't want to say prude, but, but it's such a, 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 you're, you're babied to some degree, right? You, you have all this, all these safety nets and all these um, restrictions and the, there's all this comportment, you know, expected comportment and, and there are all these rules so that the kids feel safe. And then you enter, you know, a place where someone can come up to your face, right? And I've, I've had this happen, right? Where, Somebody, and you know, as a 15-year-old, you have a 30-year-old man come up to you, stare at you in the face and say, fuck you, this was worthless, and you wasted my fucking time, and just like grab a bunch of shit on a desk, throw it to the floor, and walk out, right? And as they're walking out, they, you know, the guy yells, I hope they fucking fire your ass, right? And he like slams the door shut, right? At 15, never been exposed to that before, that shocks the hell out of a person, right? 
um, when at any age, again, that, that first time that you run into those situations, right? That's shocking, right? The, the, this rule of, you know, you go from a place where there are rules to this place where, you know, you have eight sales guy looking at every person that walks in through that store as a piece of meat, right? They're, they're booking them, checking out their clothes, right? Like checking out what car they drove in on, right? And they are sniping them, right? Like first to contact is first to sale and their livelihoods depend on it. But like, so does yours. Um, and then in the middle of all this, you know, I, you have school requirements, right? You have, you know, you're, you're trying to get a degree, you have homework, you have deadline, you have studying, you have, right. And then you have socializing, right. One, it puts a lot of stress on you as a person, right. But two, it forces you to grow, right. It forces you to grow as a person. It forces you to be good. Like I, I was at a point at that point in my life where there was a bunch of stuff happening internally in my family too, right? Uh, at that age, my parents' divorce was on high alert, right? There, these, there are two people who are warring with each other, like cops being called, lawsuits being filed, right? And every now and then, I have to step into that. And so that point in my life became very high pressure very, very much a growing experience, very much, uh, uh, I have to step up, right? It was that point in my life where, you know, I, I was, I, I truly felt like it was now or never that I set myself up, right? Um, for, for life, right? And, you know, to be honest, I, I failed at it, but, but it was, at that point that that reality starts sinking in and that workload, so all the tactics that I use today to take on, you know, three, four or five projects at once were really developed at that age, right? Because I had to balance my personal life. I had to balance my high school career, you know, or academic career. I had to balance my professional career, which part of that bled into college. I had to balance, you know, the fact that I was poor, right? Like um, later, right, in, in 12, so a year after this started, I start having my mom fall into a financial crisis, right? My mom goes into unemployment. My mom starts asking me for rent, right? And I'm in the middle of all this. I'm, I'm, you know, I, I don't, I don't make enough money, right? At that point in time, to pay rent, right? Uh, she gets sick at some point. I get sick at some point. There are medical bills that pile up, um, and. You know, this is all while still having to go to school, still having to pay for my food, still having to pay for all my stuff, still having to go to work, fit work into a full-time high school, full-time university curriculum. And so you just are forced to learn to be time. Your time management and your output have to be there. Um, so I learned to, for example, get all of my homework done in that hour before I started school. I learned to, you know, be working, like be studying while I'm working. I, um, there, there, there was so much that you're forced to increase your output as, as, as a, as a person in society when you get put in that situation. And that stuck with me, right? I, now when I go into, into any new project, any new place, I, I try to bring that same energy 
not because there's a necessity to, but because I realized at that age, the value that that provided to me, right? I, I realize now reflecting on it, that if I hadn't stepped up, if I hadn't, you know, I, I would not be where I am today, right? Um, I had, uh, so my, my, my senior year of high school, and I guess my second year of university, um, was probably the worst. I had one semester where I was, I mean, I was, I was near burning out. I was so close. And at one point I broke down, I had, so that semester I took, I had a change in make in major and, uh, I, I had taken 21 credits that semester, uh, full-time university credits. I took 21, which translated out to about seven classes, right? Six or seven classes. I don't remember all the classes today, but I just remember 21 credits. I was still working full time. Uh, I had actually gotten a, a kind of a promotion at that point. So I had more responsibility on my plate at work, but I needed it because I had bills to pay. Um, and I still had full time high school and I had a girlfriend and like, you know, that, that has its implications on like, demands and time and social life, et cetera. Um, and I remember that there was one class in particular that, you know, I, I grew to fucking like, there are a few people who I've hated in my life. Right. Or like had maybe they had, let's say very little respect for, but the professor that I had that one in that one arc, it was an architecture class. And I, I had I had one thing that I, I've grown to disappreciate in people is lack of empathy. Um, and he was a gentleman who I think very much had a lack of empathy. So I signed up for this class because I needed to fulfill a course requirement. And uh, because I was updated on that late because our counselor was on vacation, it was the only class available. And I thought, you know, fuck it. Architecture is a, a beautiful thing in the abstract. I love Greek philosophy. I love Greek architecture. I love Baroquean art. Like I was really into architecture. My mom's an architect. She's a civil engineer. I, I grew up around it, like to some degree, part of my life. Um, and so I was interested in the subject matter. But then I enter and the first day of class, there's 137 people. Right? I, I remember these numbers because I freaked out. It's so 137 day, uh, 37 people in that first day of class. And it was a one and a half hour class, just listening to this man rant. Day one, he gave a ridiculous homework. It was like three essays that had to get done by the next class, which was two days later, right? Um, and it just, uh, you know, three days, three classes in. So we're talking like six days plus a weekend six school days plus a weekend. So like eight days later, there were 54 people in that class, right? More than half that class dropped. Um, because of the program that I was in, School for Advanced Study did not allow people to drop that class uh, or to drop any class actually. Um, so I was stuck. I, I knew I was stuck and it became the bane of my existence, the workloads that he would give, right? Because it wasn't just that he gave us work 
right? It was that I had six other classes, right? Also giving me work and I had a full-time job and I had high school and I had that work. Um, and I had my problems at home and all that other stuff. Right. And so I remember at one particular point, and this might've been like a month in where I was just bombarded. Like I was sleeping maybe if I was lucky four hours, a particular night, some nights I didn't sleep. Some nights I managed to get two hours in every now and then between classes, I would knock out. Um, but it was, it was a rough semester. Um, and about like three months in, we're almost, we're almost about done with the semester. Uh, he, he gives this ridiculous final project that, you know, I, I think was just insensitive because you had to go visit like monuments and like, some of those monuments were international. Some of those monuments were in others. Like if you don't have the budget to like what second year college student has the budget to travel, to physically document their presence at these monuments and like, you know, sketch them and write, you know, dissertations about them. Right. Like this, this is one class. This isn't like a PhD, right? It's in the middle of all this. We have this assignment. He, puts out the stuff for the final and I am not sleeping. I'm literally, I'm, I'm like three days into no sleep, uh, still working, still doing everything. Uh, and this final season kicks in, uh, that later that week, right after he does all this later that week, the next week was going to be final season officially. So in the middle of all this, I get a call from my mom and the call was basically, uh, it was a short message. She was crying and she said, eh, Abuela Mina falleció, um, which translates to uh, grandma Mina, which was her nickname has passed away. Um, and that was my grandma, right? Like in my eyes, that was my mom. Right. So, and, and pardon if I get emotional, right. But, um, in, in the middle of all this stress, I find out that my grandma died. Um, and there was some, I was almost lucky, right. That I was that busy, but, um, because I, I didn't have time to process at that particular moment what that meant, right? Like, and it meant a lot. I don't have a Cuban passport. I can't go see her. I didn't get to say goodbye. She died spontaneously. Um, I won't be able to be at her funeral. Um, like, there's so much left on set, right? Like, there are all the implications that go into any grieving period for any parent right um were there and then there was a an additional implication which is they are miles away and you can't see them and i don't know if or ever i'll be able to see them right or even visit a gravestone or um anything right and 
But I realized too, like, I don't have time to process this right now, right? Like I have to, but you know, it doesn't matter how logical you try to be like that hits, right? So I try to keep going um, in my day, you know, obviously there are conversations with my mom. I'm now 16. Uh, at 16, I'm, you know, dealing with planning a funeral, uh, in part, right. My mom is doing it. My uncle in Cuba is doing it, but I, I'm, I'm dealing with the funeral of a parent and all my day-to-day stress. Right. Um, and to some degree, like there's a part of me that's like, oh, I can't because I am so bogged down in like the day to day that I almost can't unpack it. So I'm, I'm trying to like sneak in planning this funeral around my, you know, like let's call them commitments, right? Like daily commitments and the stress. I mean, it just ate me alive at that point in time. And I remember that on day five, I was, I was about to like burst, right? Like from all the stress, all the emotions, all the grief, right? That, that I was dealing with. Um, and, but I had the architecture final to draft, uh, I think it was five essays at that point. I had two essays for a literature class and I realized at that point my literature teacher was going to be lenient. And so I wrote to her, you know, uh, and there was, it was funny cause I was crying. I was bawling my eyes out. So like you could see the tear marks like on the paper as I wrote it. Um, but, and I remember like writing, Hey, I apologize for the smears of tears. Right. But like, I basically told her, I was like, look, I can't sit down to write. I've been staring at a blank page for like 30 minutes now. I can't think of anything else. This is what just happened in my life. Um, please give me the week. Um, it's, it's okay. Even if you give me an F right, I'll make it up in other courses or next semester. Right. Just, I can't write this right now. I'm sorry. Um, and I attempted to write after I wrote that one, a similar one to my uh, architecture professor. And I remember like within 20 minutes, he responded, everyone has problems. Everything still do. Sorry to hear that. Good luck um, here. And then he sent me a rubric. Right. Um, and I was like, fuck, I have to do this. Right. Like, Right. I didn't even at the time, I didn't even process like, you know, this guy's an asshole. Right. Like uh, at the time I was just like, all right, let me go get this done. Um, so I'm on I'm on day five. No sleep. Incredibly caffeinated. Um, and like needless to say, stressed. And I finished this. I think it's like 3 a.m. Right. And I remember at like 1 a.m., I was like, I'm not like, my eyes are closing on me. I'm barely conscious. I need another cup of coffee. Uh, so I went and I made myself coffee 1am 
drink coffee, managed to push through to three, 3 a.m. 3 a.m. I it was I, I knew I had to be up at six, right? But I just getting three hours of sleep at that point, right? Five days no I mean it was all I could think about. My head hit that pillow and I almost immediately, almost immediately knocked out. Right before I was gonna go to sleep, I felt this enormous pain in my chest. And then I literally realized, right, my heart hurts. Um, and then I started blacking out. And at that moment, I understood I'm having a heart attack, right? Like I, and I went to go scream because my mom was in the other room, but my, I was like, I was already too far gone. I couldn't get anything out. Um, and I just remember at that moment, you know, like one of those, like, fuck, right? Like, this is how I die, right? Like, this is such a fucking stupid way to die in my bed alone, you know, doing architecture homework, right? Um, yeah, that was a rough moment for me. Um, I remember clutching, what? clutching my heart. Uh, everything went black and then I had a few happy memories play back to me. Um, a memory of a lover, uh, a memory of my childhood with my grandparents. Um, and I don't know why, but like those two things, like, you know, to some degree, they did it, right? They, I reminisced on those two things in what was potentially my final moments. And as I felt like kind of, you know, this pulse of life, I guess, escaping me, um, the thought of, not having one of those moments again just enraged me or like drove me to like think, fuck this, I'm not dying. And I just remember at that moment I tried moving, like I just tried to like, it, it felt as if like I had no muscles, I had no thought, like I was just fading away, but I just like, tried so hard to to get past it to just push past that process and it was like a battle with myself to some degree um that from my perspective must have lasted like probably like 10 minutes and i have no idea what that translated to in actual time uh and, and it was just like so painful because like every second, like you feel every fraction of every second for those 10 minutes. And, and like, there's such a clarity, I think that you, that you get in that moment, um, that it. I don't think you ever, or at least for me, I've never lost it, right? I can always 
remember almost every detail of that moment, every, like, it, it kind of sets uh, a milestone, a checkpoint in your life of what's important to you, what are you doing, and why are you doing it? Um, and then finally, after those 10 minutes, I just remember I felt a pump and it was so painful, but like, it was a pump, like I literally, I felt like a slow thump, thump. and it was like, I had acid running through my veins, but I was, I was, I, I felt so happy, so proud. So it was such an achievement that like I got a pump, right? Cause it felt like it was minutes, right? Like it was minutes since I last felt a heartbeat um, that even though it hurt, like, you know, it hurt like a bitch. Right. But it was a pump. And I just remembered over the next like 20 seconds, there was another pump. And I thought, okay, just keep going. It doesn't matter how much it hurts. Just keep doing whatever it is you're doing. It's working. You got to keep pumping. Uh, eventually, after probably like another minute, my heart started again. And I just remember being paralyzed. I, I felt like every blood vessel was on fire. Everything was acid. And I was just there paralyzed. I couldn't move. I couldn't scream. I couldn't ask for help. It might've been, I was there for hours, uh, maybe, maybe an hour and a half, two hours. And I remember at my alarm still hadn't gone off. It went off maybe 20 minutes, 30 minutes later. But at some point I realized, oh shit, I can now move my fingers. And I started Kind of the same thing, just push, just keep moving, just keep trying to move to eventually I can, and it was extremely painful, but I could kind of wiggle my way around. And I just, have you ever seen that, that part, that, that uh, part of Wolf of Wall Street where he was super high on quaaludes and he's just this discombobulated figure trying to like distort himself down some steps? Well, yeah, well, that was me. Um, <laughs> yeah. I just kind of rolled, dragged, like used my chin. Just, I knew that I had to get to my mom's room and tell her what happened. Um, and before I managed to get to the room at some point between opening my door and opening her door, I kind of got my function back, my bodily function back, uh, which I mean, after hours of being just like paralyzed was, I mean, I was crying of happiness, right? Um, she wakes up, Hey, what's up? Uh, and I tell her, you know, basically, Hey mom, I, I think I had a heart attack. Um, I'm okay now, but, um, and she's like, you know, uh, I don't think you had a heart attack. You wouldn't be talking to me if you didn't have a heart attack. We'll go check it out tomorrow or whatever. Um, just go to sleep, you know? Um, and so at that point I knew that I wasn't going to be able to like get her to take me to a hospital. So I was like, fuck it. 
I I feel somewhat rested or somewhat adrenaline, you know, rushed with adrenaline. So I went. I said, let me avoid coffee. If I fall asleep in classes today, fuck it. Um, so I made myself some breakfast, and I just started my day. And that was a Friday. And uh, and Saturday I went to the hospital. And uh, I went with my father. And uh, I remember, because weekends I was with my father. I went with my father. I let him know, hey, I think I had a heart attack. Took me to the doctor. The doctor said, hey, you definitely had a heart attack. Um, you know, there was a whole discovery about my cholesterol levels. There was a whole discovery about other things. And then while I was there, I had a second heart attack. Uh, and then thankfully there, one, I already kind of knew what it felt like, but two, there were doctors there. That time I did go out. I went, I went out for about 13 seconds, um, but they brought me back. Um, and then I, uh, I remember I was told, um, Hey, you know, your cholesterol level should be between zero and a hundred. Yours is currently 427. Um, you have a genetic issue regarding cholesterol. Uh, your body doesn't dissipate it naturally. Um, and if you don't take care of this, you'll have, you know, you'll be, you'll be dead, you know, again. So, um, they, I mean, it was a radical change for me in diet. It was a radical change for me. And also all the other effects I had to get on medication to reduce my cholesterol and all these other things. Right. But, um, I, I thankfully from, from Saturday to Sunday, I, I, I slept so much. I think I slept like 18 hours and yeah, I knocked out. I woke up, I started Monday and that week, uh, I remember I, I literally almost couldn't stop crying that week. I, I literally, I would step out of class, run into a bathroom and cry. And that was, that was that week, probably the next two, three weeks, right. It was just breaking down and I think it was healthy, right? It was this, I, I finally felt I had the freedom to grieve, uh, you know, the death of a parent. Um, but it, it, to some degree, toughens you up, right? Because you have to keep going, right? At that point in my life, right, I, I just had to keep going. I couldn't afford not working. I, I was... I realized given where my parents were in life and, and their dynamic and, you know, my mother and everything that like, I could not give up the opportunities that college was going to present to me. Um, and so I just, you know, you get used to taking the blows to some degree. Right. Um, and, and I think that moment, in particular, that that like two, three week period in my life where I dealt with like my death, my parents' death, um, you know, no sleep, nearing insanity, um, workloads, realities of poverty. Like there was so much stress in those two weeks, right? Um, at some point later, you know, thoughts of suicide, like there was uh, so much that happened in that period in time that 
when I overcame that, right, there was, and today I still think, right, like there are, there's almost nothing in my professional life that I, I, I have faced or I, I can imagine facing that compared to that moment, I, 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 would, I would find daunting or stressful or scary. And it has enabled me to tackle these bigger projects, right? Uh, to solve bigger problems um, without fear of, oh, what if we fail or what if this is, fuck it, who cares, honestly, right? And that, that pretty much was the zenith of, of, of my, my, my first half of my university career. It, it, it made me just realize, right, that my, my, my contemporaries, uh, most of them at least, um, are, are, not, are not those who I can chat with about these sorts of, like, I, I, again, I, I, I just felt old, right? It's one of those things that I think ages you. Um, and, mm -hmm. and I just felt old. I felt appreciative though, to some degree that I was still young. I felt appreciative that I had had that experience at such a young age because I think it's prepared me a lot for life, right? And being empathetic to those who might be older to me, those who might be in different situations um, and, and creating a sort of sensitivity, right? That just like I might not have been willing to share that at that point in time, they might be dealing with something that to them is just as, you know, shattering to their life, right? Or, or, or as daunting to their perspective, right? Or, um, and they might not be willing to share. And so it's, it's helped me a lot deal with many different types of people and, and having empathy to them through, because I had, I had another semester after that. The workload, even though it was about the same, right? Maybe not than that previous semester, but then but it was the same as the two preceding it, right? Um, it almost felt peaceful. It felt zen, right? Like mm -hmm. having these 18-hour workdays, 20-hour workdays, right? I was just like, this is not bad, right? I get to sleep, right? I still get to eat, and I'm not dying. So kind of when you had your, your, kind of your death experience, you said you mm -hmm. kind of, I guess, reevaluated what, what was important in life. Um, yeah, what, what were you, what were you kind of thinking before and then what, what kind of yeah. insights uh, great did question. you have? Um, I think that I was not before that experience, I think I let life happen to me. Um, I didn't take enough control over my happiness, enough control over reaching my goals, uh, surrounding myself with specific people. Um, and experiencing certain things, 
Um, I think one thing that I took away is, you know, and, and not to sound cliche here, right? But like, it's not that life is too short. It's that life is too fleeting to squander it on anything less than what you want to do. Um, I think since then I have worked on things, you know, if, if, if my resources allow, right. If, if I am, if I am able to, right. And, and however I am able to, I have worked on things and surrounded myself with people or tried to, of course, that bring me happiness and success today and I think can continue that into the future. And I say success not necessarily financially, right? I mean success intellectually, success in a friendship, success in a partnership, right? That, that I, I don't necessarily define success by money, but by memories and achievements that we can experience together or an impact that we can have together. Um, I have been much more willing to try things, to tackle things, um, since that experience. As an example, before then, I would go to school because that's what people did. I would get a job because I needed money. I would, you know, I would do things because that was the norm, not because I wanted to or because I thought it was good. And I never really considered myself in the equation, but I also never really considered others either. Is this good for them? Is this a good process for people? Should I do this? Should they do this? Right? What is good for us as a group? Right? Um, whether that be my friends or or my community or the you know the world, right? Like as humans, right? And before I I had had those thoughts from an academic perspective, right? From a theoretical, from a book perspective. And I think since then, I, I had a people perspective. Um, a perspective of empathy to those who might be in whatever consideration I am having under trying to understand their perspectives, trying to understand what effect, you know, uh, Chris has a good thing that he, he, I, you know, one of those, uh, good lessons I've taken from him. It's, uh, it's anytime you introduce something into a system, you change the system. Um, 
and and trying to understand from an empathetic perspective to others how the actions that they might take or I might take or some system that might be introduced might change what we're trying to solve or the context under which we're operating. And I really think it just opens you up uh, to thinking I don't want to say outside the box, right? But it opens you up to thinking about others and other things and this idea of questioning your assumptions um, about everything, right? Not just about the scope of what you're trying to solve, right? But the scope of anything, right? And, and so, and I've brought that a lot into projects I've worked on and things I've done, right? With, with Chris and I and, I know, for example, uh, Brandon, right, who we both know, uh, when, when he worked with us for a while, he, he, he noted, like, it's kind of weird how you guys break the fourth wall so frequently. Like, we'll be having a conversation, and then we'll step back to analyze, the con like, is this a conversation, right? And then we'll break that fourth wall, right? But this idea of really questioning deeply, assumptions, processes, thought patterns, identity of self, identity of groups, uh, in, a, in a kind of a solution-focused mindset, right, of uh, how can we improve this for all people? And that's, that's just like these kind of subconscious thought patterns that you've developed because of your experience or yeah. is it an, a conscious yeah, effort great to, um, I think, I think what I, I think I've always done that question. I think what I haven't always done is mm -hmm. change the scope of said questioning. I think one thing that that experience allowed me to do or opened up my mind to is, what I question, right? I, yeah, uh, right. Not, not to be super abstract, but like, I question reality, right? Uh, what what it means, right? Um, my my place within said arbitrary reality, right? My concept of agency, right? Can I control my life? Does my life, you know, is, am I just an arbitrary collection of atoms uh, just, you know, reacting and, and I can be modeled by just, you know, a collection of forces uh, reacting to each other, which by the way, I probably can, right? But uh, the point is, right, what do I want to do with that information, right? Let's assume any one of those arbitrary things is true, right? What do I do with it? Okay, you know, this, this question of great, so what now, right? What if, right? But, but starting, starting that set of questioning, right? Of understanding what is the scope at a much grander scale, right? Um, understanding others' perspectives, right? Great. I, I, so, so this idea of like, okay, great. What now? What if, right? For myself, right? And I decide to live life 
arbitrarily, right? By by my by my rules, by my standards, by my whatever. But taking into account others might have the same thoughts or questions in themselves. So I don't know if that's descriptive of or or, 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 or informative. Um, I actually I was I was hearing uh, funny enough I was hearing a podcast with Russell Brandt. Uh, Russell Brand, I don't know how to pronounce his name all too well, but uh, he was having this idea of like, you know, and he was talking about psychedelics, right? But like using psychedelics to break your programming, right? And I, I thankfully, I guess, or not thankfully, right? And maybe I should have used psychedelics instead of, you know, dying, but, uh, but. <laughs> But the, the effect is kind of similar, right, I think. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Hmm. Sounds very, yeah, I guess kind of philosophical. Like right. And, and, and I think people, uh, here's the thing, right? I think when you ask others, and if, you know, I ask that question to a lot of people, right? When you ask other people that question, a lot of them are like, fuck it. Why are we going to ask that? Right. That's a stupid question to ask. Right. Or like, I don't have time or, you know, whatever that not taking the time, not making the time to sit there with yourself and ask yourself, right. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Why am I here? Why do I want to be here? Right. And answering it. And I, and I realize a lot of the time, others don't have an answer, right? They're just running a script, right? Which shit, I might be too, right? But, but it's a conscious choice, right? And, and having, I try to be incredibly incredible. Like I take, you know, usually an hour or so a day where I just sit with myself and I ask myself, am I aware, right? Like, mm -hmm. am I aware? Is there anything that I am doing that I'm, I'm, I'm not conscious of? Is there anything that's happening to me that I haven't noticed and being intentional, uh, about what I what I what I let myself experience, what I choose to think, what I choose to feel, um, and do that daily, honestly. Yeah, I think that that's kind of what we were speaking before about the education system too, and and I think that's something that that should be taught or like people. Like no one, no one really sits alone and, and is just with themselves. Um, I know that's something that I had talked about with with Edgar in it, or with another person on a podcast. Is that and how he explained it was like everyone's just on this treadmill of life, and no one ever really stops to think that that they're not living the life that they they should they want to live. Um, yeah, yeah. So uh, <laughs> had a similar experience <laughs> in recent Don't memory. say. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, and I think a lot of things that you say about 
for me, it's become evaluating my mind and the way that I perceive things and stuff like that, like what beliefs I have about the world and myself. And I don't know if you've already covered this uh, from like your perspective, but I'd almost want to ask like what, because I realized, I think that when you have a near-death experience, it's a great recontextualization of existence, right? And I would ask you, what were some of the assumptions that you felt that you had previous to that event that then kind of just dissipated afterwards? Great question. Um, I think one big one for me was uh, this idea of sticking with your family. Um, I, I let that go really quickly in that moment, um, realizing, you know, that with the exception of my grandparents, um, the, the help or the aid that my family's provided to me has been very sporadic, very fleeting, right? Um, and, and I realized that through friendships I can achieve, like the concept of societal norms of engaging with others, I, I really questioned a lot and, and I let go, right? The monogamous versus non-monogamous relationships, heterosexual versus, you know, fuck all that shit. You wanna fuck goats? Go fuck goats if it makes you happy, right? You wanna, you know, print babies and raise them and break the traditional family structure? Good for you, man. Go ahead, right? Like this, this, this idea of, you know, we're, we're all living this experience, right? And so many of us act from places of fear and restrict the actions of others out of some idiotic fear, right? Most of the time, not always, right? But like most of the time um, that are so senseless, right? Even in like fear of death or fear of anything, right? Like and just allowing each other, right? And enabling each other to just live whatever fucking version of life you want to live, right? Like you want to have 200 husbands good for you girl go do it you know um like and i think my 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 you know to some degree today i still have traditional you know roles and people in my life but i also have a lot of non-traditional roles or people in my life, right? Play untraditional roles to others and, and others play untraditional roles to me in my life. And, and I encourage that, right? A lot, right? This idea of, of everything is works in a paradigm, everything, right? Breaking these paradigms, breaking. So I, the, the first one for me definitely was family as a concept. Um, yeah. 
quick, sorry, quick before you, you kind of hop into the next one. Um, I had a follow-up question. Sure. Um, yeah. So do you, do you yeah. believe in like a concept of morality? Um, you know, uh, my definition of morality might be different than <clears throat> others. Um, what is your definition of morality? I think the short answer and, and the very, uh, The, the, the shortest version of this is don't be an asshole. Um, and part of that is not being aloof, right? I think there's, there's, uh, for me at least, right? Self morality versus group morality, right? We, we can go on on a philosophical debate here, right? But, my self morality, right, that, that I that I, I aim for with myself is awareness. Um, when I communicate with others, I try to bring awareness. Um, and 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 so that they are aware of where I'm coming from, and I try to extract awareness so that I know what they are thinking, right? And, and there's synergy. Uh, that's it. I, I think every other arbitrary construct or concept like trust or tolerance or whatever, uh, I think are all solved with, with that, or at least in my experience, right? Like trust is just intention and effort, like, you know, quality, right? Like, I have the intention of doing something good and I have the capacity to do good. Great. Um, but I think all of a superset of that is just awareness and, and an awareness of self and awareness of each other. I think um, there's, there's an interesting phenomenon that happens, right? Uh, there might be some Buddhism in there, which is also just to accept whatever happens when you become aware of it, right? Um, and there's an interesting phenomenon that's happened to me, which is when I achieve awareness over something or with somebody, almost every derivative conversation, almost every derivative conflict or possibility or opportunity or anything else become almost self-evident. Um, and so it, it, it helps growth. It helps conflict resolution. It helps, you know, you know, whatever objective or problem you're trying to solve, it almost always is, is such a useful tool that, um, that yeah, I, I try to always strive for awareness. Uh, and I think like in, in the problem solving world that sometimes converts into like, oh, this first principles approach, right? But like, that's kind of the same thing, right? You're, you're just becoming aware of the underlying phenomenon, 
right, or the underlying problem so that you can actually have an impact with the actions that you take right, at a grander scale. Um, but yeah, just, uh, I, I would say awareness. Another quick follow-up question to that, um, like from a, a personal standpoint, so you, you put a lot of emphasis and value on, on self-awareness. If you, if you had a person, right, and you could give them just three characteristics or three, yeah, I guess characteristics, strengths, what would be those three strengths? And then you think if this person has this, they're set, they're set for life. Awareness. Empathy, and stoicism. That is an interesting, interesting. collection of traits. <laughs> Chris, yeah, by the way, that's probably coming right after that. Um, um, <laughs> in, in our problem-solving driven world and and I think this is a short-term one short term in the span of you know three to five thousand years right but um, I would maybe add aptitude okay and that that's that would be my last one hmm. all right yeah, yeah. So you cheated. You got you got four and three. <laughs> you broke the fourth wall there. Damn it. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of the fourth wall, I actually thought about like now that you mentioned that Lewis about you know the context that we find ourselves in society. Like, how does this generalize beyond just society? Because that's how I interpreted the question originally. But like, you know, in a hunter gatherer context or like any type of situation. Mm -hmm a person may find themselves. And honestly, mine are a little bit different. Actually, I guess they're a lot different. We can talk about it once I say it, but um, one of them is creativity. Um, particularly when it comes to like what the quote unquote rules are about something like thinking if functional fixedness is like, you know, seeing one thing and saying, this is what it does. Then what I'm thinking of is the opposite of functional fixedness. Um, so that, that trait, um, honestly, the other one is optimism like the will to go on. Um, which I guess you can say is like stoicism with a spin. Um, and the third one is tricky. Um, Cause I think if you have those two, you're already in such a great spot. Um, I guess it's, it is humility. Um, yeah, humility. And I don't just mean that like in a social context, but the humility to like, 
see who you are, like what, understand like the context of reality and just realize that like you're a small part of it, like asking for help, like realizing that, that there is no like plan and that anything could happen to you like that, like deep multifaceted humility, which I guess maybe is another spin of stoicism. <laughs> but those are my, those are my characters. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, you know, hearing you talk, Chris, there's two things. One, I want to retract and I want to remove empathy because I think it falls under awareness as well. Um, and I would just leave aptitude. Um, and then also, Chris, uh, to note, um, I think, yeah, optimism and op uh, stoicism and optimism, I would say, are just two different sides of the same phenomenon that I think we're trying to reach. Um, creativity, I would, I would say, is a similar phenomenon to what I'm trying. I'm just saying we're using different words, but I think it's interesting that I think we're touching the same subjects, right? Because what you're, what is being solved with creativity, I, I, you know, I'm trying to solve with aptitude. And then the third one, which is humility, I, I was hoping to solve with awareness, you know, because to some degree it's, it's, you achieve similar stuff, but I would just, yeah, I, I would say I, I agree with everything Chris said. And I, I think we said the same thing with different words, but yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Um, Okay, going back to, to <laughs> the other assumptions um, that were kind of broken. This is a dumb one, <laughs> but uh, I I wanted to find a partner, a life partner. That was like, you know, something that from my childhood, seeing my grandfather and my grandma, you know, find this like lifelong friendship, right, and and and, and partnership. I always thought, you know, brought them such happiness in, in an otherwise not necessarily happy place um, that I kind of wanted that for myself as well. Uh, and I, uh, I think I spent so much time trying partners, right? Like seeing if this would work out, um, that I think it was a lot of emotional energy, time wasted, hearts broken, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I, I think I just realized like who I love, will just happen and so will who loves me right so instead of doing so actively um i think i'll just let nature happen right um and you know maybe like i i, I just i kind of realized that it's i was not happy with what i was doing and I think if 
if that were to be a thing, it just kind of needed to, you know, work. It just needed to, you know, it, it couldn't be something that was forced. Um, and I think that today is true of all relationships, not just romantic, not just friendships, not just professional, any relationship, any person, if, if it feels forced, I fuck it, you know, it's not worth it. Um, and yeah, I, I would say that was the second one. Um, I think the third one was, I, I always kind of held off my ambitions, right? Cause I always thought, oh, well, I need more to do them, right? Or, oh, I'll do it later or, you know, whatever. Or other people, you know, find this risky or whatever. And I think there too, I was kind of like, fuck this, right? I'm, I'm just going to do it, right? Um, and honestly, I think that's what, that's what, and, you know, I think for both me and Chris, right? Like this ability to just take, because I, I don't know where Chris gets it from, but, you know, I, I know that he has it, right? This ability to just take risks with little risks, like just take enormous amount of risks that other people would not normally expose themselves to um, on a theoretical concept, like something that you conceptually thought like this could work, right? And you're pretty sure, right? Like this would work, right? But obviously practice and theory are two different things, right? So to take those risks, I don't think a lot of people do. Um, and, and for me, I think a lot of my professional career has been just stupid risk taking, right? And in a good way, in a positive direction with a lot of potential payout, but, but just being completely unafraid of risk, right? Uh, just if, if it pays out and if the payout surpasses, right? Like if, if you're not literally going to die, and I mean quite literally, if you're not going to have a stake rip through your spinal cord, right? Like just do it. Fuck it. Who cares? Right? Like money can be remade. Um, you know, relationships can be reestablished. Like, and there's there's so little downside to just trying, right? Even if it's a year, even if it's two, right? Like, because there's there's you know, like what we're here on Earth for a limited amount of time. You might not get another opportunity. Who's to say? You know what I mean? Like, there's just so much in the grand scheme of things whatever arbitrary little action you take within the span of these cosmos, mm -hmm. right. is so fucking meaningless that like, why would you deny yourself that opportunity? Why would you deny yourself that happiness or experience or whatever? Right. Cause not all the experiences are going to be positive or, or happy or enjoyable, but there's, there's a value in that discomfort. There's some benefit to it in those learnings. Right. Why would you deny yourself that? Um, I see it as a disservice to yourself and to those who choose to take those journeys with you, right? Yeah. Um, 
like I agree kind of what you just said, right? Like just go there, go out there and do what you want. Um, that kind of was thinking back to the characteristics you guys mentioned, right? Of, of stuff for people. Um, and I agree with everything you guys said. And maybe this is just another way of saying self-awareness, but I think another characteristic I would add is confidence or just self-belief, like the belief that you can achieve what you want to do. Because me and my experiences, I feel like that's why a lot of people don't do what they want to do, right? Because they just don't have that, that self-belief. And I look at the people who are like set and really successful. It's just because they have just this complete belief in, in who they are and, and, and what they can achieve. Um, but again, that might come back down to self-awareness. And I think that's built up through hard experiences. Um, yeah, I, I, I think hard experiences, right? So it's, it's hard. It's hard to not be aware when you've had rough experiences and overcome them. Um, and maybe because of Chris's past and my past uh, confidence, and at least for me, for sure, right? Um, Chris, I, I'll, I'll ask, I guess, your, point, your, your, your thoughts on it in a second, but at least for me, confidence is almost a byproduct of overcoming hardship. Um, and... I think that any person who has a combination of aptitude, awareness, and stoicism, or Chris's were creativity, optimism, and I forget the third one, Chris. Humility. And humility, yeah. I think if they live life, right, if they just continue living, they will at some point solve some problems. And the compounding interest of that usually results in confidence. Hmm. Um, in my experience, right, and I don't know that that would be the case for everybody, but it was definitely the case for me, and I think most of the friends I've had, but, you know, Chris, I, I'm curious your thoughts. I mean, for me, it's, it's real simple. It's like, what are my options? <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure, sure. But, but, <laughs> sure. I, uh, before I, you know, I get that, but think about no, but in the past, but also in the present, like okay. the way that I think about it is, and I, you know, I, there's some implicit assumptions, I think, in the question. So I'll try to answer what I think the question is ask, asking, mm -hmm. which is like, why is there confidence to take risks? And the answer is like, what are my options? Like, not taking risk is crazy. <laughs> like, to me, the worst thing that could happen for me is like I like middle out and I'm like miserable. I'm miserably trapped by my existence and I like waste everything that I've like learned and overcome to date. <laughs> um, and so it's like, yeah, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to 
figure out the tricks just like, you know, I've done previously and I'm going to keep doing it. I don't know. My, my perspective is kind of simple on that. Like if anything, I've just refined the risk taking calculation matrix. <laughs> like, right. It's like the quote of the ice pickers being careful about not taking risks, but yet the whole act of ice picking is taking a risk. That's like the like optimization strategy I've landed on as of late. But like not climbing the mountain, psh, kind of life is that. In my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's about and and, and Chris, I I I I love your point of climbing the mountain, which is I think it's about just being fearless but tactical, right? Uh, which is, you know, oh, you know, and, and I'll give you an example of like Chris and I, right? Like, hey, we're gonna build uh, an ML architecture to rival Google, IBM, and Facebook, right? <laughs> All right, great. How many engineers do you have? Just us two. How much experience do you have? We started last week, right? Like, you know I mean? like that, that when, you know, especially in the early days when we told someone that, you know, to some degree, you know, they fucking laughed in your face. Right. Um, but it's, it's that it's, it's about mitigating that, right. It's about realizing. And then this, I think goes back to awareness it's about realizing what are your advantages? What are your disadvantages? How can you leverage your advantages? How can you mitigate the risk and your disadvantages, right? Um, and exploiting that and executing quickly, right? Um, and that, I guess, goes back to aptitude and, you know, um, uh, maybe, yeah, I would just say that that goes back to aptitude Um and, and stoicism maybe too, to like deal with all the blows that might come in that, that rapid execution and all that stress of rapid execution, which uh, I think a better way to phrase it is definitely Chris's optimism. So we should probably stick with optimism. Um, uh, question for you. Why do you think that most people don't climb the mountain then? Uh, fear most of the time, risk. Fear of what? Dying, death, the unknown, never doing it. Uh, shame of having to learn how to do all those things, uh, guilt, right. Of not having done it before. Like, you know, there's, it's usually negative emotions, like almost all the time, right? Like when I, when I sit with someone and I dive into, cause you know, when, when you're an entrepreneur and like you have any, any semblance of success, right? Like you don't need to be a Bill Gates. You can be a guy who sold a million dollar company, right? Which like, as you and I know, in the world of entrepreneurship, you sell a million dollar company, you know, it's the equivalent of like selling Girl Scout cookies, right? But like the, the, the amount of people that ask you for advice and tell you like, oh, I have this idea, but I haven't tried it. Or uh, what do you think of this? Or what do you think of that? When you dive into it, like for their motivations, right? Why, right? A lot of the time, it's just this lack of awareness, this programming that they built into themselves. Like, oh, well, but I got to go to school. I don't have time. And it's like, why don't you question that for a second, right? Um, or like, well, I'm afraid I might run out of money. Like, why does that matter? You know, like, why don't you question that for a second, right? Why does that matter, right? Um, 
And, and I think that the vast majority of people who I know that are good founders or just founders in general, right? They, they literally, they either have beat that question to death and just said like, cause why not? Or like, who gives a shit? Right? Like, like it's hard. Great. Yeah. So is fucking everything. So is waking up every morning, you know, and doing the same shit day after day after day after day. You know, what's hard when you're 50 years old, you're sitting down and you're reflecting on what you've done in your life. And the answer is nothing. And you have to live with the reality that now you're too old and too decrepit to do anything about it. And you're just slowly inching towards death in like an otherwise miserable or not miserable, but not enjoyable existence, right? Like regret and guilt and shame at like, that's such an awful experience to have that like, I think you're just not exposed to when you're younger and like, cause you're, you, you know, you have this sense of, Oh great. And you just get stuck in this habit and then it's too late and then you die. And like, that's yeah. awful. Why the fuck? Right? Like, I will say two things about it though, that may seem contradictory. The first, which we'll seem to agree is a quote that I heard, which I think is right, which is you can't live the same year for 50 years and call that a life hmm. first. And then the second quote, which is not a quote, actually, it's just my thought, uh, uh, which is, you know, take the risks, uh, be calculated about it, be calculated about your risk, um, but make sure to factor everything into the calculation. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and make sure that you prepare yourself if it fails, right? Like just, okay, yeah. you have to accept failure when you start. And you have to accept comfort with failure, like the day that you start. Otherwise, you're going to go nowhere. It's going to inhibit your ability to do things. And that, yeah, I don't know. That's that's my opinion. That's my, you know, I, I normally don't concern too much, don't concern myself too much with the what if we fail, you know, doom and gloom and stress and demise, right? I normally think, hey, this is a problem. How do we solve it? And then focus on the solution, right? Because uh, then everything's about solving problems, right? Everything's solution focused. Everything's, you know, even failing is just learning, right? It's an investment in your future, right? Like, um, and that's really how I see it, right? So I'd rather fail big, right? Like I, I would love to one day have an Amazon or a Facebook and just absolutely fuck it up, right? Like, <laughs> Don't hear that. Yeah, royally learn from that experience, right? Like <laughs> um, obviously like there are a lot of implications. And so if we go back to awareness and empathy and all these things, like there's so much external damage that you do right? Or you can do when you're at that size, not to yourself, but to others that there, there is some, there's a sense of responsibility, right? And, and making sure that there's survival and there's, you know, this back to this idea of group awareness, 
right, and making sure that the, the group's okay and the group, etc. Um, but you know, just selfishly speaking, right, I, I would love I a different approach, though. The what? <laughs> no, it's just it's, I guess for the record, partially, I do take a different approach, or I have. I think we've. I don't know if we diverge, but like I think our takes are slightly different on the whole failure risk kind of situation, right? Because my thing is I'd like to fail fast, like really fast. Um, <clears throat> and then I also think, yeah, about um, provo- like getting a solution, but like how can I be clever? about the risk that I take. Like it's either I'm going to fail fast or I'm going to like be like make a success where like failure almost wasn't in the cards. <laughs> if that makes sense. Like if I have to fail, I'd rather do it quickly. Mm-hmm. And if I'm going to do something that succeed, can I engineer failure out of the equation? Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, which for the reader of the reader, the listener who may be interested in what that means, that also could mean redefining failure um, in such that, you know, a failure isn't actually a failure. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but I mean, that's what the whole education system and the whole constructs of society teaches us, right? That it is failure. Yeah, exactly. But even even not being clever about failure, there are ways that, like you can live to fight another day, but still learn something. Mm. And I wouldn't consider that a failure. And I know Lewis is probably thinking, well, in the extreme, that is true of everything. <laughs> but, uh, but, um, Chris knows me well. But, yeah, yeah. But I mean that in more limited context. Like you don't have to fail all the way. Like, yeah, as long as you don't die, you haven't failed. <laughs> but um but you also don't need to like fall all the way down off the mountain either (laughs) yeah um i i I would agree with you chris by the way i i i I think that there's there's something to note here right which is a meta conversation which is in our life what are we optimizing for right And, and and for for you right given given the fail fast or do not fail approach, right? Then the road is always up, right? So, so there's there's success as a goal. There's you know the financial success or, or material success. Or uh, for me, that that's always been knowledge. That's always been experience. That's always been like wisdom. Uh, and so, I I have found that I find wisdom. I find insight. I find knowledge. By trying or doing things that others have not done before, right? Otherwise, I just, you know, read it in a book um, or, you know, watch a movie about it or whatever. Um, That's fair. And so for me, I, I want to achieve more, right, than someone else has achieved. And I want to fail harder than someone else has failed, right? Um, or I want to, you know, like I like, I like extremes, right? Because they illuminate, right? Certain things, right? Um, yes, 
I will give you a little bit of a different take on the gaining knowledge point, um, which is in achieving some quote unquote conventional success, there's always problems and there's always opportunities to fail at every level. I just feel like me personally, I've already like done a lot of failing at like ground, like lower levels. Right. And uh, if I, if I climb a few rungs, I'll get the chance to see more things. That's really what, like, what do I live for? Like what's one of my reasons to live? It's like, I just want to see more things. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and like, that's a good way to do that. And sometimes it's not even about like, so one of the things, like one of the ways that I've applied humility recently is like, you know, just sometimes just doing what works is not a bad idea. Um, but like remixing it in a new way, like a clever concoction of things that have already been proven to work uh, in a new way. Um, it's just it unearths another little sliver of knowledge uh, and experience. So, um, yeah, it's a different take on that. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. No, the, this dialogue is super interesting in terms of how you guys view life and risk taking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the optimization. It's interesting as well. Yeah, I mean, it's not something we Question. tell VCs most of the time, right? But um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, invest in me. I'm gonna build you the Amazon, and then I'm gonna fuck up royally. <laughs> no problem. Or, 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 yeah. right? The fuck up for me could be, and then I'm out. <laughs> right? Your job. Good luck. Right? Or whatever. Right? But like, you know, the the idea is just. For me, it's just having the experience, right? Like, great, I built the Amazon, right? Yeah. Let me go yeah. on about my life, right? Which I think, honestly, Bezos doing the same thing, right? Um, but, yeah. Quick quick question for you, uh, both of you. Um, but, so right now you're saying you're optimizing for wisdom, knowledge, experience. Um, were you always optimizing? Like, at what point did you kind of decide or kind of became conscious or aware of it that you were optimizing for knowledge um wisdom um i don't think that i was ever not optimizing for that i think at some point i just became aware of it right uh i think that was one of those innate bugs right um that kind of i don't know if it came from my autism if it came from genetics if it came from you know, my nurture before I could remember it, right? Or if it came from, I don't know, right? Like maybe it came, and, and you know, I always think about like that possibility of like, oh, maybe it came from that narrative, right? Of like, I was retarded, right? In the eyes of others when I was young. But then I, I think back and I was like, yeah, I didn't really give a shit about that, right? Like, I don't even remember that that well, right? Like that wasn't something that I cared about. Um, so I just, I really think it was just for me, at least, uh, it was a thing that I, I did and I enjoyed. And at some point I, especially I think when I had my first associative fugue, which, you know, the whole Riemann hypothesis thing, and I just spent like eight months binging this subject, right? Like intensely binging. Um, I think I realized 
shit, this is like what I do. Like this is, this is, this is all I wanted. Like I realized that like for so many years, that's where I found joy. That's what I enjoyed doing. And that's what like I wanted to continue doing. Um, and to some degree, it's, it's a lot similar to Chris's. I mean, I think we've chatted about this. I just, we go about it different ways. Right. But like, it's just exposing myself to novelty. Um, and, and change frequently large amounts of, um, and then the rest is just giving myself the time to reflect upon it, ingest it, learn from it, etc. Right. Um, which I do often, many times in my life, I've like disappeared and like just fucked off for like three, four months. Um, and just taking that chunk of time, you know, two years, five years, 10 years, whatever. Um, and just let it sink in, reflect on it, learn from it, et cetera, and then grow, try to grow myself and my character, uh, and then start another period, right? And then, you know, maybe in six years, seven years, fuck off again, right? And then do it again and repeat. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think my approach is a little bit different. Um, and <clears throat> I think of some things that, like, you know, maybe could have gone uh, differently. Um, but I think that at least with my risk, like optimization strategy, what I like is that it's firewalls almost. Like the whole idea is that you're not going to take so much risk necessarily that like you'll slide down the exponential curve to like a degree where like you're really like quote unquote starting completely from zero. I mean, that's obviously something that I've already like done. Uh, but it's just not something that I like need to like necessarily do again. And I think I have a fair degree of like, control of like not necessarily like, you know steering the simulation so that it uh it doesn't necessarily end that way the other thing is also like firewalling like other parties you know i think i'm i am sensitive to like not taking risks that may blow back on like people who didn't decide, you know what I decided. <laughs> yeah, if that makes sense. Um, and that takes a certain like uh, modus operandi. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's really like my thought. Uh, so, I mean, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> we'll let you know. We'll let you know, Katie. We'll, we'll keep you posted. Yeah. Pending. Pending. Let's let's do a pod. I was gonna say let's do a podcast in ten years, but like shit, let's do a podcast in like yeah, half who knows? Years. Who knows? <laughs> With the way both yeah. our lives are going yeah. right now, 
we we might be somewhere else completely. Chris might be sipping margaritas in Ibiza, and uh, who knows? Who knows? Yeah. You're gonna be like Lewis. You're gonna be like in a hill, like by yourself, just in a mountain, right? Just writing books in a mountain. Yeah. My, my goal, and I guess I'm going to put this out into the world, but my goal is eventually to get to the point where I can build infrastructure in third world countries. I don't know why, but it's just like, that's what I want to bro, do. Like, boy, do I have a company for cool. you, bro. Yeah, I know. But no, but I mean, like, like what I really care no, about. I, I'm not like, even talking about. I care. Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I got like, you, bro. Really I'm not even about, talking about like, do you yeah, I'm not even food? talking about salad though. Like, I need to talk about education. Yeah, but if you're talking about the other, yeah, projects, yeah, yeah. Boy, do I have a project for you, and it's funded. Yeah, but it's like, can I go over there and like, you know, set up like? Oh, you mean physically? And like, oh, okay. That's what I mean. Because that's what I, that's like what I'm really concerned about. Because I find that like economics and like money and all this is like a bunch of abstractions, and like sometimes we don't even have the basics, like nailed down just like you know do you have clean water do you have something to eat uh and you know i i consider power to be like an essential utility but like those things like they don't take a lot of money to solve um and they make a big difference um, actually i was literally talking to some of my friends in a foreign country and and uh we were literally chatting about setting up electrical infrastructure water cleaning solutions etc and how to pull it off who do we partner with what are the organizations on the ground all that stuff that's that was that's literally been my night times when i'm not doing a podcast as a side note yeah the tricky part with that particular country is that you kind of have to almost like banksy the whole thing you have to what sorry Banksy, you know, Banksy, the artist who does all these art installations, but nobody knows that who he is. Or yeah, when it yeah, happens. yeah, yeah. I don't mind. I don't mind. Like if one day. I don't mind not taking credit for it, though. And no, that's totally okay. I'm just saying the logistical process of like doing it in secret. Like one day there's clean water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. It's that's that's almost exactly what what's happening, right? Um, right now we're we're not at water yet. Yeah. We're at the electricity side of the equation, but yeah, and in, in the coming in the coming months, in in some particular area of some particular country, there will just be electricity. Yeah, like the government will literally like scratch <laughs> their heads and not really like know who yeah, to point yeah. at. Yeah, it's like who did it? Exactly. Nobody knows. I mean, just kind yeah, of yeah. showed up. <laughs> yeah, which is pretty neat. Um, it. it it's also kind of neat exactly. that to some degree I find pleasure in the, in the no one, no one knowing, right? The greatest giving is anonymous. Yeah, it's, 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 I find a lot of value, right? In, 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 in being able to, honestly, to pull, pull, pull that off without, and it's still small, right? But without the, the typical, you know, being public and pitching and news and all this other garbage that you normally have to do to pull those sort of things off. Just the being able to go in, go quick, get it done and get the fuck out and empower them to keep taking it from there. Um, which, you know, just a little education and 
little bit of resources to kick it off, just a catalyst, and then just fuck off into the sands of time where no one will ever find out about you. Um, that's there's there's almost a, a, an enjoyable pleasure in that uh, for me, and, and being yeah. being the you know being well, the, the the man behind the man behind the man behind the man you know eventually. Some guy will get credit like, for it uh, at some point, bro. What's the, what's the Bitcoin guy name? Natoshi Sakura, whatever. <laughs> that guy? I yeah, would have loved to be that guy. <laughs> yeah, he just dropped it. Yeah. Um, it's almost better that way because, like, not only, not only just because of, like, an altruistic sense, but also, like, you don't get any heat. Like, I, no. I think for anything that you do, you're going to have, quote-unquote, haters. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I don't just mean that like haters like you know sometimes you're dealing with like actual governments that have like agendas that don't and agree machine with guns agenda. and bombs and nuclear weapons exactly and exactly so who did it is awesome yeah anonymity is like totally underrated um, but uh, you know as powerful as having a platform is also being completely anonymous is incredibly powerful um <laughs> But yeah, anyway, guys, I have to go, unfortunately. Um, so I don't know if this is a good spot to... to okay. kind of, yeah. Cool. yeah. Yeah. Thank, Thank you, you guys again. It was awesome. All right, guys. Got it. Cool. Dale. All right. Okay. And that concludes the latest part of Louis Carbonell's life. Again, if this is your first episode you've heard from Louis Carbonell, be sure to check out part one, starting in Cuba. Um, and stay tuned for the next part in this multi-part series. And that wraps up the episode. Again, uh, you know, check out the check out the website, subscribe, tell your friends. That helps me do what I do best, which is talk to people and bring those conversations to you. So, subscribe, tell, check out the website. And I hope you have a fantastic week. Cheers, bud. <laughs>